Father, your word contains life and wisdom, instruction, all of these things that are beneficial to our lives, to our existence here, and not only for here on earth, but also in the age to come. And we'd ask that you would help us to prepare ourselves for that, that we would digest your word, that we'd meditate upon it day and night, as the psalmist has said. And help us, Lord, to go through the effort of the 99% perspiration and the 1% inspiration to be inspired so much to reach those who don't know you. But, Father, as we are here now, we ask that you would just fill us, fill us full of knowledge, fill us full of the ways that you think are good, and help us to be aware of the world and its ways. And Father, most of all, help us not to be stubborn. We ask that you would assist us in being soft towards the things of your Spirit and not hard-hearted. In Jesus' name, amen. Now last week we left off in chapter 27, at about verse 54, where the curtain in the temple had been torn when Jesus was crucified and he died and there was darkness over the face of the city there of Jerusalem. There was a great earthquake, rocks split, and they were big rocks. They were not the small rocks. It was the word Petra, not the word Petras. Tombs broke open, and holy people who had died before went back into the city. They were resuscitated, not resurrected, but they were resuscitated because they had to die again. Kind of a bummer for them, but they had to go through the process again. And these would have been the miracles that took place when Jesus was crucified and he gave up his spirit. And of course, that curtain that was there separated the Holy of Holies. And we read from the book of Hebrews how Jesus did not go into the Holy of Holies that was there on earth in Jerusalem, but he went into heaven, into the temple which was in heaven, and there he offered his own blood once and for all as a sacrifice. And I told you about uh, Barabbas or Barabbas and the two goats that are given in sacrifice. One is going into the wilderness, and we went through all of that. But we get to the point in verse 55 about women, women who followed Jesus. It says in verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, it's interesting that to a woman, it was revealed the Messiah would come. Of course, that was Mary. And it was the women that followed Jesus at the, at the crucifixion, and all the disciples had scattered. They weren't really in the area. And the women were the first to hear of the resurrection. Now, there were a lot of things in the first century where Jesus existed that were not so beneficial to women. I'm going to read to you several things from various Jewish writings and what they said about women. Women were not allowed in court. In effect, this categorized them with Gentiles, minors, deaf mutes, and undesirables, such as gamblers, the insane, uh, and pigeon racers, who were also denied that privilege. On the other hand, a king could not bear witness in court, nor could the Messiah, which somewhat lessens the stigma of the restriction, but they were still considered like pigeon racers. You know, that, that, was like the, that would be like um, the cockfighters who were out there with the chickens. You hear about that one guy? Had the chicken? He put the blades on the chicken, 
The chicken started fighting him, slit his throat, he died. Use a little wisdom here. Let's go on. Customarily, even a woman of stature could not engage in commerce and would rarely be seen outside her home. Only a woman in dire economic straits who was forced to become a a family breadwinner could engage in her own small trade. So if you were a woman, you were married, you usually stayed at home. That was your place. If a woman was ever in the streets, she was to be heavily veiled and was prohibited from conversing with men. It is the way of a woman to stay at home, and it is the way of the man to go out into the marketplace. So the the women going shopping, by the way, if they had a slave, they could do that. In Talmudic times, respectable women were expected to stay within the confines of the home. The terminology for a prostitute was one who goes abroad. So a woman, if she's found out to be outside the home, she could be called a prostitute. The The women of the first century did not even do her own shopping, which I just alluded to, except possibly to go out accompanied by a slave to buy materials for which she would use to construct her own clothing at home. Can I ask, just by a show of hands, who makes their own clothes in here anymore? Anyone? Does anyone make their own clothes at all? Wait, I'll bet. Oh, that's right. By the way, she made these. Aren't these beautiful? This is great. <clears throat> yeah, and that's the thing. Our culture has so changed. Where, and I remember growing up, my mom had a singer. Is, is that the name of a, a singer sewing machine? And I remember getting on there. Oh, this is too tough. And I, I gave it up. You know, but that's what a woman was supposed to do. Stay at home, raise the kids, fix the meals. The household was her domain. Do not go out. You could be called a prostitute. She was basically suppressed in the society. And based on a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, teach them to thy sons, the rabbis declared women to be exempt from the commandment to learn the law of Moses. And a lot of times the women were illiterate. They didn't think it worthwhile to invest in them to be taught the things of God. Women were separated from men in private, public, and religious life. They could go to the temple, but they could not venture beyond the confines of the women's court. There was no such court found in the biblical description of Solomon's temple, by the way. And so where could the women go? Well, they really couldn't if there was no designated area for them. Women were not allowed to participate in public prayer at the temple, although they were encouraged to have private prayer lives at home. The few rights of a woman included her right to go to a house of study to hear a sermon or to pray. Also, it was her basic right to attend a wedding feast or a house of mourning or to visit her relatives. We know that Jesus did this with his mother. The first miracle recorded in John, the changing the water into wine, she was at the wedding. Not only did Jesus liberate us from the eternal penalty of sin, but he also liberated women from the oppression of wicked men. Now, if you recall, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the curse that came along, the curse to the serpent was he was going to crawl on his belly the rest of his life and eat dust. And for the man, all the days of his life, by the sweat of his brow, he would cause the land to produce that had thorns and thistles. And that was, you know... You just sweat all the time out there. That's his curse. For the woman, great pain in childbearing was her curse. And also with that, her desire was going to be to rule over her husband. 
to make sure that he was in line. Now, how does a woman do that? A woman does that not directly. A woman does that indirectly. Like if she sees something that's out of sorts in the household, she might come up to you as a husband and say, is that going to stay like that? Say, you laugh, but you know this is the case. She doesn't say, could you please move that most of the time? Or could you please take care of that? And the guy, depending on how he is, he may say, yeah, I'll get to it. Or he may say, oh, certainly, dear. Like in our household, certainly, dear, I'll get right to it. (laughs) Thou shall not bear false witness. So it's this idea that a woman desires to rule over a man, but part of that curse, he will rule over you. And in the King James, it, it would say, your desire will be for your husband. I've explained this before, and it's not that, oh, I love my husband so much. No, her desire is, I will rule over you. And the husband says, no, you won't. And he rules over her. And so that is part of the curse. And that's why women have been suppressed over the centuries. It's because of this curse. Our job as Christians is to overcome that and be the greatest in God's kingdom, which is the servant of all, which means for our spouses, for our husbands, for our wives, for our children, for the strangers, for the ones we love, we're to serve them. And that's how we're supposed to act as Christians. But as the world, it's all... I got the goods, I got the books, they stand when I walk through the neighborhood, I'm making it. Remember that song? It used to be way back, back in the 70s or 80s. But it, it's like this. We need to die to our own wants, cares, and desires and serve others. That's what Christ did. Now, if we're doing that, women will be elevated. And there are those who would say that Christianity is oppressive to women. And if they say that, they're simply uninformed or they remain willfully ignorant. This country was established on Christian principles. If if you were to ask anyone in the world, is the United States a Christian country? Most of them would say yes. Just like if you said or asked the question, is Saudi Arabia a Muslim country? They would say, well, yes. But are all practicing Muslims in that country? Are all devout? No, they're not. In this country, are all practicing devout Christians? No, we're not. But the difference is how we were established. Now, there will always be inequity of outcomes between men and women in our world. And again, I will say it is because a direct result of sin or as a direct result of sin. But women are excelling in this country, which has been founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic. The thing that we hold to, we say, this is the Bible, this is the Judeo-Christian ethic that we hold up. I want to give you an example of this. 56 of all college students are women. It used to be just the opposite. It used to be 58% of all college and university students used to be men. Now it's kind of flipped. And I think this is partially because of the world's idea of feminine, but that is the, uh, feminist uh, movement. But this is an opportunity for women. This is great. You know, I have three daughters, and they're making it. I mean, they're doing just fantastic, all of them. And then the wage gap, we hear there's this wage gap between men and women. And if you start, and I'm not going to go into all the details about that, but if you start doing some investigation, it's not just because of one thing. It's not because men are suppressing women. 
they, they have their own reasons for not wanting to work as much or be with a family or have other interests where a man will work 80 hours a week. That's what he'll do. And so the, the gross income that he'll make will be more than a woman's, but the media comes out and the world today comes out and says, no, women aren't making enough. And so the attempt is made to suppress the men and raise the women, which I will tell you is evil. It's just as bad as when the men did that to women and for women to do that to men. It's all evil. We know that we are all the same in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 through 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. None of us should miss out on anything. Another statistic found at fortune.com, as of August 2019, women make up more than half of General Motors board, leaving six female directors, including the chair, to the five men that are on there. So it's a, a corporation controlled by women. That's not all. Bed Bath & Beyond, Casey's General Stores, Viacom, CBS, Omnicon Group, uh, Asenia Retail Group, Best Buy, Progressive Corporation, and Ultra Beauty, they're all run by women. The Fortune 500 companies are run by women. What do I say to that? Hoorah! That, hey, if they want to do that, fantastic. That's great. And if a guy comes along and says, well, it ought not to be a woman, why not? Let the woman do it. You know, I had a question once from a woman in the church here during an election that uh, Hillary was running against Barack Obama. And the woman in church came up to me and said, Pastor, do you think that a woman should be president? Well, I said, not Hillary. But <laughs> I said, I don't care who is president. As long as they follow what the Lord says, that's what I'm about. By the way, an election is a vote for morality. It is not a vote for a political movement. It's a vote for morality. And, that's, and a vote's coming up March 3rd, I think, right? And I'll be delivering a message on that again. Uh, I try to do that every political season, how we have a moral obligation to vote. If you're not voting, I think we're neglecting our responsibility as citizens to do that. But it is our job to make sure that morality, God's morality, is put forward. Not the world's idea of morality, but God's morality that is depicted in his word. So misogyny has no place in our lives as Christians. We're not supposed to express at any time a hatred for women. And by the way, there is this movement to not only have equal opportunities, which I am all for. If, if there's somebody who is underprivileged, let's give them some privilege, but do not take away privilege from somebody else in order to give this person privilege. But what we're doing, we're trying to have equality of outcome. We will never have equality of outcome. It is impossible to have that happen. And that is of Satan as well. And the way Satan does it is suppress one group to bring up another, make them all even so nobody has an advantage. And so if somebody has an advantage, the world says, no, that's evil. We have to take away all advantage. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because there was such suppression of women in the New Testament. And today, there's still suppression of women. But now it's kind of reversing. There's going to be suppression of men. When was the last commercial that you saw that, that depicted a man 
as smart, intelligent, making the decisions. It's not. He's like the dolt. He has no idea, and he has to turn to the wife like, well, I should shop at Walmart? And the wife goes, yes, we have some great deals up at Walmart. And, and that's the commercial which is up there like the guy can't figure it out. You know, and that is of the enemy. Everyone is to be equal. We're all created in the image of God. And so we do not suppress one to elevate another to get equality of outcome. Let's just raise everybody. I think it was a quote that um, Ronald Reagan is president. He said this, but I think he quoted somebody else. A rising tide raises all boats. And so if, if we look at the population in general and we want to improve the population, let's work for everybody, not just a few. We do not benefit when a few people are oppressed. And let's elevate everyone, both men and women of all races, rather than taking one from one to benefit another. God loves the two distinct genders he created. And so this is how we're supposed to act. And by the way, that last comment I just said, it's not because, and some would disagree, it's not because I have been practicing microaggression. I don't know if you know what that is. If you don't, you can look it up. Let's go. Uh, move on. Verse 57. Here we have Joseph of Arimathea. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in a new tomb, his own new tomb, that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, who is Joseph of Arimathea? We know that from Matthew 27, verse 57, that we just read. He was a rich man. He was part of the council, or he was a member of, in an honorable estate. He was a wealthy individual, a member of the Sanhedrin. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, and he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, the Sanhedrin was set up in the Old Testament and Excuse me. And it was supposed to be a ruling body that God told Moses, this is what you need to do, grab 70 guys, and they will be like the Supreme Court. And it can be fewer than that that meet together. I saw one reference where 23 of these men could get together and they could make a decision because when we see the crucifixion of Jesus, it says all of them were in agreement to crucify Jesus, to, to hand him over to Pilate. Well, we already know that Joseph of Arimathea dissented. He did not agree with that. But all those who were there happened to agree. So it seems to be a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. It was probably fewer of the members of the Sanhedrin met, especially at the hour that it was taking place. We also know that he was a disciple of Jesus, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven. Also, John chapter 19, verse 38, which says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Now, this is also the case we know with Nicodemus. <clears throat> and we know that Joseph took him and buried in his own tomb, but this is a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So even at the time he was buried, God told us that this would take place. Now, 
going on with this, we have Nicodemus. In John chapter 19, verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body and two, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Now, if you remember Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, and he started having a conversation with him. Remember, I said at the beginning, we're supposed to engage people in a conversation. Now, if they want to show up at night because they don't want to be seen with you, a Christian, talking to you because they might be an atheist, fine, let them come over. And you can have the same conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Jesus said, don't you know you have to be born again? He goes, what are you talking about? I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. He goes, are you a teacher in Israel and don't know these things? That you have to be born from above. You have to be born by the Spirit of God. Just as a side note, I had this conversation with one of these guys, you know, the bank robber, the forger, and all those guys. And he said, what, you think you're a trinity? And I said, yeah, because he doesn't believe in the trinity. It's not in the Bible. I said, yeah, I'm a trinity. He goes, what, you're a spirit and you're a body? I said, yeah, and a soul. That's who I am. God breathed life into me, and I became born again. I am body, soul, and spirit. Now, if you get into theological circles, that is a great debate, and people like to go back and forth in it. I'm just going to tell you, we're a trinity. God's a trinity. We're a trinity. That's the way it works. And so (coughs) we are uh, to be cognizant of Nicodemus and his questions to Jesus. And he had a wonderful conversation, but they were secretive in their relationship with Jesus. They didn't want to be known because of the persecution that might result. I want to tell you this, that if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, you will be persecuted. It doesn't exempt us from still going out there and being this witness and engaging a world and being prepared to do that. We don't want to live our lives, and, and by the way, I understand this, I could work my brains out and not spend any time with God at all. Because there have been times where I've done it. And then at the end of the night, I lay my head down. So how was your walk today? And not good. And it needs to be better. It needs to be more full of prayer, more full of the word, and then I'll overdose. I'll listen to all kinds of scriptures and books and things like that, teachings. And, and so it's it, for me, I, I like to overdose. I like to get big, huge doses of it. But I think God probably wants me to be a little more consistent than the huge doses. He wants us to walk daily with him, making sure that we understand what his good and perfect will is. And by the way, if we have a tendency to deny Christ, and I'm not saying where you go out and you say, no, I, I don't know the man like Peter. If we say something like that, I don't think that really happens. To us, we just keep our mouths closed. We don't say anything to anyone we don't want to take the effort we don't want to explain who jesus is and the salvation that awaits us and the judgment which is coming the gospel the good news as opposed to the bad news which are out there which is out there and so we want to make sure that we are acknowledging jesus before people and by the way we can acknowledge or not acknowledge him by our silence It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. 
Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And so that's a promise that's been given to us. But just think of the glorious entry into heaven if we just fulfill what Christ asked us to do. And wrapping it up here, verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sirs, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, he might raise from the dead, so we need to stop it. Do you see the foolishness which is here? And by the way, they understood exactly what he was talking about. They tried to make it like, well, he said he's going to destroy the temple. No, they understood completely these connivers, these deceivers. They just wanted to get rid of them because their power was going to be taken away. They didn't want to receive anything that Jesus had to say. And that's why Jesus went back to them and gave them seven woes. Woe to you. And he told his disciples, do not be like the Pharisees. You must do what they tell you to do, but do not be like them. They are hypocrites. And he said that several times. And even Gamaliel. This is the story afterwards, after Jesus had resurrected, after Pentecost. And of course, these men were going out preaching. Peter was and the other apostles. They were preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And they were told to stop. And this is what Gamaliel said. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men, because they told him to stop preaching. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand of the prince as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Again, making another mistake. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that these men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus or Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all of his followers were dispersed. And it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, exclamation point. Let them go, exclamation point. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Yeah, I love that. This guy had lots of wisdom. Like, if it's of God, it's going to succeed no matter what you try to do to stop it. And of course, next week, we're going to look at the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28. And you know what comes at the end of that chapter? It's what I was explaining today. That we need to go out and make disciples. God has given us all authority in heaven. He has it and he's given it to us. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
we are not to just acquiesce and do nothing and watch life pass us by. We're to be engaged. That is my encouragement to you guys this morning, that you would find yourselves in the Word, that you would devour Scripture, that you would devour sermons. There are so many available on the Internet, both good and bad, and God will give you discernment which ones to hold to, which ones to cling to. And He'll also guide you if you ask Him, which verses should I memorize? Now, you might say, memorize? I can't memorize. I don't even know my wife's phone number anymore. It's in my phone. I I don't even have that memorized. And, And some people say, I can't memorize anything anymore. Remember what Moses said? I can't speak. I, I stutter, basically, is what he's trying to communicate. And what did God say to him? Did I not make the mouth and the tongue? God can give you the ability to memorize. It's his will. And if you think you can't, uh, do you know your address when you grew up as a child? You probably do, right? I remember mine, 474 Vista Way. God can give you the power to be that disciple, all you have to do is ask him and trust that he will do it for you. Now, what we're going to do at this point is we're going to receive communion. When it comes to communion, of course, we have the bread over here and we have the juice. And what we do when we receive communion is we remember this very thing that took place in Matthew chapter 27, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And that his blood was used, remember, it was sin offering of the goat. And then there was the one that was taken into the wilderness. The sin offering was the atonement for our sin. Or excuse me, it wasn't the atonement for our sin. It was for forgiveness of sins. And the goat that went into the wilderness was for the atonement, the covering of the sins, the sins being separated from us as far as the east is from the west. That's why we take this. It represents the body and blood of Christ. His body is given to us. As a sacrifice is given to God the Father as a ransom, and the blood cleanses us. So we remember what Jesus did. Now we do this once a month here, and we want to treat it as something that is holy in a reverential fashion. And so as it is being passed out, once we turn down the lights in the middle, and once the song uh, is sung, we just want to make sure that we are spending time with God saying, God, you know, forgive me. I've been a failure for the last day or the last week or the last month, but I can be restored any time. I just have to ask you, and that is only possible by the sacrifice of Christ, taking the cup and taking the bread. So if we can have the lights turned down in the middle, and if we could have the worship team come up, and once the song is uh, begun and we begin to play, Then the men, those who are serving, will get the cup and the bread and they'll pass it out. And I would ask that you would hold on to it until we're all able to participate in receiving it together after Steve prays for it.